Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, thank you that you have brought us together this morning and you have suffered no hurt, harm, or danger to befall us from the last time that we were together until this present time. And we honor you because you're God, because you're good, because you're worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of all our service. You're worthy of our submission and our obedience. We ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you will cleanse us afresh even now. Cleanse us afresh, Lord, and let there be no impediment to what it is that you are doing and desire to do in our lives and through our lives. I ask you that you would prosper these professionals as they go about their day, as they go about their duties, that you would give them great grace, give them great grace in every aspect, that the report may come back that there is something distinct and distinctive about this person's walk and about this person's life. And I give you glory for it. I give you praise for it. Protect and shield them. Let no weapon that is formed against them prosper. And let every tongue that would rise against them in judgment be condemned. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Welcome, Spirit of God. Amen and amen. We are going to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where we're continuing our reflection upon John the Baptist and how John the Baptist, as a character study, becomes an object lesson and a model for us with regard to knowing our assignment. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? All right. In the first session this morning, we pointed out, we pointed out that um, John was asked who he was. But the reason why he asked who he, excuse me, the reason why he was asked who he was is because of what he was doing. And what we said is, if you are proficient in what you do, eventually people will begin to inquire as to who you are. The same people who may very well ignore you for who you are will make a circle back around when they become impressed with what you do. John the Baptist had become renowned for what he did, how people were responding to what he did. If you are excellent as an athlete, if you are excellent as an entertainer, singer, actor, if you are excellent 
in whatever business, service, or good that you generate. In other words, if you're good at what you do, at some point, what you do is going to generate interest in who you are. It becomes a platform for the unveiling of who you are. Let's, let's use a contemporary illustration. Let's consider Oprah. Oprah gained her renown for what she did. That is her communication, journalistic, uh, interviewing, uh, interactions with people, her penetrating uh, insights and uh, perspectives and so forth. She became known for what she did. Television show host, all of those things. And the more intrigued <clears throat> and the more impressed that people became in what Oprah did, <clears throat> the more of a premium was placed on who Oprah is. And so now think about this, who Oprah is. Well, she's a reader. Oh, really? Yes. What does she like to read? See, nobody cared what Oprah read until they became impressed with what she did. But when they became impressed with what she did, it fueled an interest in who she is, which is a reader. There is so much interest in her as a reader that if she mentions a book, you understand, that 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 pleases or that impresses or that encourages her as the reader she is, that book will probably instantly become a bestseller. The strength of what Oprah did, built a platform for great interest and great uh, validation of who Oprah is. And because of the stature that who Oprah is now has, anything that she endorses or embraces as a person is almost immediately a sensation. And, and, and she's not even doing some of what she used to do, but the doing became a platform to reveal her being. And because of her being, she is able to fuel lives and fuel careers just by her endorsement. You see it? I'm saying to you, my dear friends, that when you perform with excellence what you do, that not only is notable or noteworthy, but it fuels, it, it ignites in people an interest in who you are. What do you like to eat? What do you like to wear? Where do you like to go? See, all of that is who you are. So here's the here's the the way that we've stated it. Your doing is the fruit of your being. 
your doing is the fruit of your being. When people eat and enjoy the fruit long enough, they want to check out the root. The fruit doing the root being. And so John the Baptist, do you understand this is not just about John the Baptist? Hello? You understand this is not just about John the Baptist? This is about a person who has learned his or her assignment. So this is not just first century AD. This is 2022 going into 23 AD. And uh, of course, John explains who he is not and then who he is because John knows who he is, and he knows what his assignment is. We have been dealing with these various aspects. To know one's assignment, one must know his sender or her sender. Must know himself or herself. Must know his or her superior, that is within a system or structure where you fit in that system. That's number three. Number four, know my skills. That is, know my gift set. Abilities, competencies, interests. All right. Uh, number five, to know my service. Let's back up to John the Baptist again. My sender, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, so God sent him. Myself, if you read uh, Luke chapter one, you'll find that his history is recorded. Uh, and even his name, John, it means God or Yahweh is gracious. Then three, his superior, that is his upline. That means where he fits in the system. Well, it turns out that Jesus is his superior. Even though Jesus comes after him, he says he's preferred before him. Number four, his skills. He is prophet, teacher, baptizer. That, that's John the Baptist. Then number five, his service. What is he actually called to do? Um, he is called to present Messiah, excuse me, prepare the people for Messiah and then present Messiah to the people. That's what he's called to do. He's called to prepare the people for Messiah and then to present Messiah, that is Jesus Christ, of course, present the Christ to the people. That's the essence of his service. Now, he may do many other things. He may do many other things, but remember this, you may have many jobs, but you are called to do a work. A job is a task. But a work is a life assignment. The many jobs are designed either, the many jobs are designed either to equip you for the work or as increments of the work. I'll say it again. 
You may have many jobs, but you'll have, your life is given by God for a work. And the many jobs are either preparation for that work or installments and increments of that work. And that work is a life assignment. It's a God assignment. It's actually a collaboration with God. All right, so uh, the fifth one is know my service. Number six, know my scope. That is how broadly am I to touch? Who is my audience? Who is my target audience? Who is the demographic that I'm to reach? That's the scope. And again, if you're faithful in the scope as it presently exists, God will many times enlarge the scope. Number seven, my schedule. In the case of John, his scope was the nation of Israel. My schedule, what's my timeline? As it turns out, as it turns out, it was not a long timeline. John's lifespan and the lifespan of Jesus Christ were very closely aligned. And it appears that John only began to preach when he became fully, fully grown. Well, Jesus began his ministry at about age 30. So that means that John didn't have a long time to get ready. Uh, uh, that is to, uh, to do that work. He'd been getting ready since his childhood but to execute the work. And I will go ahead and say this too. You know what? Sometimes the length of your preparation and the length of your execution don't resemble one another. Sometimes the length of time involved in your preparation and the length of time involved in your execution don't resemble one another. Think about this. <clears throat> the child who has been learning gymnastics ever since he or she was a child <clears throat> is now age 20, 25 and goes to the Olympics. And the Olympic event in which he or she is involved only lasts 30 minutes, 20 minutes. That's the execution of an Olympic performance. But all, nearly all 25 years of that person's life, they've been in preparation. So the length of the preparation time and the length of the execution time don't always resemble one another. But in order to be ready for execution, one must be willing to invest in preparation. We're going to have a concert this weekend, the service will last from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The choir will sing from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. We've been rehearsing for three months. What? Three months of rehearsal for an hour performance? That's right. That's right. The length of time in your preparation and the length of time in your execution do not always resemble one another. And so sometimes what we consider to just be total delay is really just extended rehearsal. 
You hear me? Sometimes what we consider extended delay, I'm already 30, I'm already 40, I'm already, sometimes what appears to be uh, a delay, an undue delay, sometimes it is extended rehearsal. Because in some of your performances, some of your destiny performances, you won't get but one chance. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean you won't get many chances in life. I'm talking about that moment. Okay. So, um, um, sometimes when a person who's really good at a thing does it, somebody will interview afterwards and say, how long did it take you to get ready for that, that performance? You know what that person could actually say? All my life. Because when a person stands before you to present, everything that he or she has ever been through has just showed up in that moment. Every tear he or she ever cried, every pain he or she has ever endured, again, every training, every class, every late night exam preparation, whatever it might be, all of that has just showed up when that person stands to deliver. And that's why whenever a person serves professionally, he or she ought to be well compensated because you're not just compensating him or her for that hour or whatever it might be, that 30 minutes. You're compensating him or her honoring. You can't pay them, you understand, but you're honoring them for the journey that has made that person who he or she is. Don't, don't apply cheapness don't attribute cheapness to a person's life investment. Let's go forward. That's the schedule piece. Then we dealt with my satisfaction. And that's what we're dealing with now. The satisfaction that is derived from the fulfilling of the assignment. Proverbs 13, 19 says, I won't tell you what it says yet. You probably remember. Let me start on the low level and come up. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Ecclesiastes chapter five. And verse 19, let's, let's read 18 and 19. We talked about Ecclesiastes this morning. I, I can't be so extensive, but let's just go ahead. Verse 19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Do you know? 
that God wants you to be rewarded for your labor. He wants you to be rewarded for the fulfilling of your assignment. Not only does he want you to be rewarded, he has devised the reward. Now, the first kind of reward that we're uh, considering is the reward that is referred to in verse 19. That is tangible rewards, material rewards. Don't let anybody fool you or misguide you. God not only has no problem with you being materially rewarded, he will often cause you to be materially rewarded for some aspect of your service. I'll say it another way. If you serve well, in what you are called to do, what you are assigned to do. In some aspect of your fulfillment of that assignment, there is a paycheck associated with it. Now, please don't stop the quote right there. Don't stop the, you know, don't clip this and say, well, Brother Blue said everything has a paycheck. Yes, but no, hear me out. God places in your life, uh, excuse me, your life, God places in your life a gift or gift set. That gift is for governing. Not so much governing people, although you may be called to government in that regard as well. But as has been stated so well, governing systems governing some system. Your gift is for governing. The outcome of your gift being used for governing, have dominion, the outcome of your gift being used for governing is the glory of God, the good of people, and the gratification of the one who serves the gift. When God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion, what he was saying is, I'm going to make them governors, co-regions with me over the earth. And I give them gifts that become the tools by means of which they are to govern. So in your life, whatever gifting that you have, God intends for that gift to be used for governing, that is for positively impacting and influencing and shaping the world around us. Governing in that sense, not being a boss, not being a tyrant, not being a dictator. So the gift is for governing and out of your governorship, remember the Bible says, the Bible says concerning Jesus, the government should be upon his shoulder. Well, he's king of kings. Who are the kings underneath the king? We are. All the world's kings are, but even more particularly, we are, because he said we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So the gift in your life is for governing. The outcomes of that gifting and the outcomes of that governing are supposed to be as follows. 
the glory of God, the good of people, and then the gratification of the one who is the carrier of the gift. Now, again, the gift is for governing, but the gift and the gifted must be groomed. The gift and the gifted must be groomed. Now that varies according to whether we're dealing with natural gifts, supernatural gifts. Supernatural gifts are not necessarily groomed, but the person carrying the gift must be groomed. You follow? Natural gifts do have to be groomed. Can you see it? And so when you execute the assignment, your gratification is a part of the process, a part of the package. Uh, I, I was reading First uh, Timothy. Let's look at First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Verse 17, what I really want is the latter clause, but we'll read the whole verse. Charge them that are rich in this world. He's talking about people who have lots of material goods. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. What are those? Material goods. They're uncertain. They can blow up in a moment. They can go up in smoke. Listen, but in the living God, this is the clause that I wanted to get to, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What does God do? God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So he doesn't have a problem with people having reward in the material realm. But notice this, friends. Notice this. He doesn't give in the sense of putting something on a platter and just handing it to us. No, in the book of Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, he talks about the law of seed time and harvest. How does one get from seed time to harvest time successfully? In the time of seed time, he or she labors with seed. And in the time of harvest time, he or she labors reaping the harvest. That's how God gives. Primarily. In other words, that person fulfills the assignment and the assignment has with it a harvest. And one realm of harvest can be material increase, material reward, financial reward. And God is not averse to it. And don't let anybody tell you that otherwise. God did not call the church God did not call his people to a vow of material poverty. Are there people who love God who are financially poor? Absolutely so. Are there people who love God and who are financially poor and love God better than some people who are financially wealthy? Yes, that is true. But is it also true that there are people who are financially wealthy who love God? Yes. And are there people who are financially wealthy who love God more than some people who are financially poor? Yes. Because your love of God is not dependent upon what 
material resource you have in your bank account or in your home or in your garage or wherever. That's heart. That's not dollars and cents. That's not gold, silver, and precious stones. Can you follow that? But my point simply is, if you are successful in completing and fulfilling whatever assignment, executing whatever gifting that God has given you, there will be reward. And, and the first kind of reward that we're talking about are tangible. The first kind of reward uh, that we're talking about is tangible. But now it doesn't stop with the tangible. That's the lowest level, actually. It's necessary, but it's low level. Because again, all those things can go in a moment. And then you can have those things and they not go in a moment and you still not be fulfilled. We're talking about satisfaction. So I want to go back to my original statement. Your gift has a paycheck associated with it, but understand that the paycheck is not always financial. Sometimes the paycheck is the smile on that child's face that you've just taught to do something he or she couldn't do before. It's those bright eyes. It's the light bulb over his or her head that came on. It may be that old person who did not know how she was going to be able to afford her medicine or how she was going to be able to get food. And you made a way by the grace of God for that person to get those resources. And, and she clings to your arm saying, son, I thank you. Daughter, I thank you. I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. You know that expression. See, that's a paycheck. That's a paycheck. That's a paycheck that you can't buy with money and you can't cash in a natural bank. When you see things change in people's lives that you've attempted to mentor and that you've attempted to teach, when, when you see things change for the better, when you see them years later and the crisis that was bogging them down, now they're walking in victory over that. That's a paycheck. See, that's satisfaction. When John saw Jesus coming, nobody gave him a dollar. When John saw Jesus coming and saw Jesus' ministry growing, nobody bankrolled John. John said, I am, I am so satisfied now that I see Jesus coming forth in prominence because my whole life mission was to prepare the people for Messiah and then to prepare and present Messiah to the people. It's happening. Remember in John chapter three and in John chapter four, where the Bible says that Jesus began to baptize and ended up baptizing more people than John. Jesus' ministry actually outgrew John's ministry. Jesus' fame actually eclipsed John's fame. And John said, I'm glad about it. I couldn't be happier because that's my assignment being fulfilled. You see, that's not a tangible paycheck. You can't buy that. And if you're going to be a kingdom professional, you cannot replace your pupils with dollar signs. I'm talking about the pupils of your eyes. You cannot replace your pupils with dollar signs. I'm not, now, let, let, me, let me hasten to say, that doesn't mean that you are not to have the business acumen and acuity that enables you to see 
financial or material or capital opportunity in almost any situation where others might miss it. Oh, that's that's a gift when you can do that. But when what I mean is when you only see the world, just like some people only see the world in ethnicity or race, black and white, everything's black and white. Some people only see the world in, can I get some money out of this? That's dangerous because money in itself is not designed to fulfill you. It is designed by God to be a tool. It is designed by God to be a resource. It is designed by God to be a means, never to be an end. I'm talking about the satisfaction of that man or that woman who fulfills the assignment. So first there's the tangible. I want to make it clear that God is God of your tangible reward. But it doesn't end. That, that's the bottom level. That's the bottom level. I, I'm not the, the person who has the millions and, and certainly not billions of dollars. But I've heard many of them testify that the lowest level of satisfaction and fulfillment in their lives is just the monetary. But what they do with the monetary to bless people's lives and to see the people blessed and changed for the better, that becomes fulfilling. So it's if you're called to do a work, you must have adequate tools. Of course, you can have the most adequate tools. If you don't have the training to go along with the tool, you can tend to abuse the tool. But with the proper training and with the pop, uh, proper rather tools, then you'll be able to do some mighty, mighty things. And get, that is the will of God. And you will receive a, quote, paycheck, including the material, but so much broader than the material. And a kingdom professional is not fixated. If you're going to be a kingdom professional, you cannot be fixated on the material. You cannot be one of those people who's always blown away by the sight of money or the thought of money. I'm not, listen, I'm not telling you money. Didn't I say it's a tool? It's a necessary tool. It's, it's an essential tool to do some things. But we will not take a tool and make it a treasure. Jesus said, don't do it. Financial wealth is always a tool. Whether it is a tool of, of positivity, construction and so forth, or a tool, a necessary tool of negativity, a weapon. The Bible said money is a defense. So sometimes money has to be not only a tool of progression. Sometimes it has to be a tool of aggression, etc. But my point simply is, it's always a tool, never a treasure. When you begin to treasure what's supposed to be a tool, you're building a golden calf and call it God. Now, I, I, will, I will tell you the rest of it. We as, uh, as people of faith, we don't really talk about money enough 
I'm sure that went over very well. We don't talk about money enough because of the fact it's a tool with which most of us are not well acquainted. My computer, I, I use it for a number of things, but you know what? The majority of the time, the majority of the time I use my computer, my laptop, the majority of the time I use it as a word processor. Most of the time I use it as a word processor. Secondly, as a search engine. Actually, that's third. That's third. Uh, secondly, as an email portal. I use my laptop primarily as a word processor, secondarily as an email uh, portal, and thirdly, as a search engine. This thing, <laughs> this thing can do infinitely, well, maybe not infinite, but it can do volumes more than serve as a word processor, an email retriever, um, and a search engine. So I use it but I'm really not as proficient in its use. Even so, almost all of us on here, we use money, but we are not proficient with, it's a, it's a tool. This, 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 this laptop is a tool that I carry around, but I'm not proficient. Thank God I'm at least sufficient with it, but I'm not proficient. Even so, many of us, we deal with money because it's a, it's a necessity, just like a word processor, uh, an email portal, and a search engine are essential these days. But many of us are not proficient. I'm not proficient in computer use. And many of us are not proficient when it comes to money use. The tool called money. Although many worship the treasure they call money. But as far as really understanding how to make that tool do what it's supposed to do in the kingdom, we don't talk about it enough. All right, well, our time is gone. There is satisfaction in the fulfilling of your God assignment. And as a matter of fact, you will not find satisfaction anywhere else. You will not find satisfaction outside your God assignment. Hear me when I tell you. You will not find true heart contentment, true rest in your spirit until you discover and fulfill your God assignment. Jesus said this. He said, come unto me. It's the end of... Uh, Chapter 11, I believe it is of Matthew. I believe it's the end of chapter 11. He says, come unto maybe 12, uh, but it's one of those two. Let me get there quickly. He said, come unto me, end of 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor, 1128, and are heavy laden. Listen to what he said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice what Jesus said. He said, if you come unto me 
I will give you rest. Notice he did not say, I will let you rest. He said, I will give you. He's talking about working. He said, take my yoke. That, that a, a yoke is a work uh, structure. So, so he's not letting you rest. He'll do that when it's necessary and when it's appropriate. But he says, I will give you rest. I will put rest in you. I'll put fulfillment in you. I'll put peace in you. Let me close with this. We've got about a minute and a half. Um, the Bible says that when God created human beings and then formed the man and put him in the garden, the Bible says to put him in the garden, put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He put him in a garden eastward in a place called Eden. Eden means delight. Eden means delight or pleasure. And God put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God put him in the garden of Eden and gave him a job, you know, ultimately a word, but a job. And he put his job in his pleasure. You know, the word paradise, which is also sometimes referred to uh, means park or or, or 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 garden or net garden. To make it a, a, a long story short, God put work and play together. God put effort and ecstasy together. God put God ordained that man's work would be his play. And I human humans, male or female, that work would be his play. That that he would find fulfillment in work. God, God never intended for there to be drudgery in work. Oh boy, here's money. Oh, that's never, he had always intended for us to work, but he intended that we would find pleasure in our labor. That's exactly right. And listen, when you discover your gifting, when you're groomed, when you're when you're ready and you begin to execute what God called you to do, your work becomes your play. Now, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, I want you to watch people who are highly gifted in a certain area professionally and notice that when they do what they do, they become some of them become almost giddy, whether it is money management <clears throat> or whether it is photography or videography whether it is computer engineering and design, whether it's sound, they'll miss meals, they'll get up early, they'll stay up late, and they'll talk, 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 or they'll make you shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, because they're all into it. Their work is their play. When they find that gifting and they're optimizing in that gifting, time seems to stand still. That's where God wants you to live. That's where God wants you to live. Because in that flow, you are most efficient. In that flow, you are most creative. In that flow, you are most dynamic. When you are flowing out of what God made you and created you to be from before the foundation of the world, you are working in Eden. Your labor is in your pleasure and your pleasure is in your labor. That's why, that's why, listen, that's why you find people taking vacations and then vacation from vacation and then vacation from the vacation from the vacation 
and it's never enough is because they have not learned to love that area of assignment. They haven't found that yet. When you find that, you won't always be running from it. But don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you don't need a vacation now. So I say, yeah, brother, brother Blue, I'm looking at you. You need one right now. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But when you are engaged in your gifting, when you engage in your assignment, there is a rest that is derived from the fulfillment of completing and executing that assignment. That's God's will for you. And you're going to live to see it happen. And until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan ever more brief and ever more miserable. Together we shall bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of our eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.